0: Hey everyone, welcome along. It's our V8 Sleuth Race Control Podcast episode after the Velo Adelaide 500. Uh, I am still in Adelaide. Craig Baird is back on the Gold Coast, the Driving Standards Advisor of the Repco Supercars Championship. And Baird, I've got to tell you, I barely said the words on radio on the weekend. Curb strikes and chicane cutting. It was a refreshing change because it felt like it dominated the discussion uh, around the Gold Coast. So uh, it felt like that at my end. How was it for you? Yeah, it was certainly like that from my end because um, yeah, as I said at
1: Gold Coast, it was just such hard work; it just wore us out. So changes need to be made moving forward for the Gold Coast. But we've got to remember when we go to Adelaide, uh, that street circuit. There's only one opportunity for us for a curb strike, and in fairness, when you when you get it right, it's actually smoother to straddle it than be too greedy. So yeah, it was quite refreshing not to have to fire too too many through look. You'll always get the odd one. You'll always, you know, when when guys are following and they lose a little bit of the arrow off the front. Um, but look, no one, no, no 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 penalties as such. Just a few uh, bad sportsmanship flags, which can be a bit of a pain for us. But you know, the rest got to. You've got to do something. You can't just uh, say go straight through.
0: Don't make the call. I had to have a little chuckle though over the course of the weekend when um, a few weeks ago we heard from supercar drivers talking about bringing back tyre bundles for the Gold Coaster site references. At Adelaide, there is a little bit of bundle action down there at Turn 1. Am I right in saying that there was a little tweak to that coming into the weekend for people that might have followed the the racing on the weekend but might not have been across what happened there?
1: No, the funny part was then if we go back to Gold Coast, they wanted the tyre bundles out last year. Then they wanted them – we took them out, so then they wanted them back in. Then I got to Adelaide and I nearly throttled a couple of them because I got to Adelaide and said – uh you yeah, would need to remove the tire bundle at one, so I said I was asking whether they were delusional or just just having me on um but yeah and yeah, what I did do uh it was a new tire bundle they they're three high, so I took the top tire out just to give them a little bit more flexibility on the belting, so as the belting would move um look we we never want to see damaged cars, but you know it's funny how they'll all miss the. Concrete wall at five, but they can't miss the rubber at once. So, um, (laughs) but we're we're flexible. James, he's 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 a very good bike to work with. So, they come to us with some ideas. We look at it, see if there's anything valid, if if it's something good for the category, uh, and also if it's something that we can actually get approved and ticked off for the the circuit licensing.
0: Yep, makes sense. Makes sense. Saturday we went into the championship with uh, a margin between Brody and Shane, and obviously the the championship battle balloon kind of deflated on that first lap where Shane was kind of in the wrong place, wrong time after the interlocker wheels between uh, Will Brown and, and Anton Di Pasquale. Um, clearly that was, that was one of those classic racing incidents where no one driver did something wrong enough to be penalised. It was just one of those opening lap scenarios, but it was the interlocking wheels element that kind of, Tr- triggered that. What did you see from looking at the the onboard cameras that we perhaps haven't seen or, or don't know about to tell a little bit more of how that all unfolded? Yeah,
1: look, Anton certainly uh left the bare minimum, um, but there was certainly a car width of road there. Will probably put himself, and I think he admitted this afterwards. He put himself in a pretty vulnerable position, but you, you know it's motor racing, so you can't just sit there. You got to sort of hustle and unfortunately and we've spoken about this before the interlocking wheels what's happening is the axle lead um actually can get in and touch the spokes on the wheel and then it rips the wheel out of the the, the steering wheel out of the hands of the driver and at that point that really magnifies what's happening um it looks like he's just been buffed off the track. But I've always said to the guys, and it's been like this for a while, i always said anything to do with something that's completely out of the, the control of the drivers, i.e. interlocking wheels, um, I, I wouldn't penalise uh, a, a driver moving forward on that because it's just something I t- think needs to be fixed. Um, and I have said that for a while. Uh, it's disappointing in some ways that the Gen 3 car arrived with the same potential for interlocking. It just needs a slightly, to sum it up, it needs a slightly deeper dish in the wheel so as they can just rub side by side and at no point will the uh, spokes catch.
0: Yeah, yeah. And we saw um, an interlocking wheel situation on the Sunday Um between Jack LeBrock and Nick Percat on the exit of the final turn, turn 14. bit of an irony there is that that's Nick's car (laughs) for next year. He's replacing Jack LeBrock in in that 34 car, but same sort of scenario for you on that one? Yeah, exactly the same. In fact, it was even worse. If you frame by
1: frame it, it actually pulls the rear wheel or the rear rear of the Percat car off the ground. It's so violent when it catches, it breaks the steering and, and poor Jack ends up in the fence um so again uh we need to go through it i always give it submission to to supercars and technical and that just to say look what can we do to change things make things better always looking um that this the sad part is it's 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 a difficult change because of the sheer cost value of replacing basically every wheel uh in 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 every
0: team and every truck Mm, Yeah, and that's a a mammoth scenario. So kind of two of those interlocking ones. Um, Another one on Sunday was the um, rub with Chas Most at Brock Feeney. That was at turn seven, the right-hander onto the back straight where that concrete wall is is very close. And we saw in Super 2 over the weekend and Super 3, um, some accidents there, blind corner. There's a wall there to catch cars, so uh, there was a five-second penalty for Chaz for for that light, light touch. But he did gain an advantage, get the pass, and get the position. And calling on Sen, I was actually surprised that he didn't, you know, give it back because I sort of felt like it was a pretty clear-cut thing. Was that the way it was in race control? Yeah, it was.
1: We we went back to four, five, six to see um, if there was contact the the other way around, and I was happy with. Uh, the, it really did look like it. I initially thought uh, Brock had got in the back of Chaz and sort of, but he had just sort of flared it up a little bit. And Brock did a very lounge esque pass there. He just, he he, he didn't bump him. He just, he just fired straight from left to right and and was committed to that program. And I think Chaz maybe thought that there was a little bit of a rub up there, so he returned serve. Um, but I was look. It didn't take long for the request for investigation to come through from AAA. At that time, I've got a job to do. I have to open up all the files that I've got, look at it, and make a call on it. So what I did, I, it was pretty. even the commentators were kind of giving him a heads up that he probably needs to, to redress it. So I gave him a couple of laps to try and do that. I really wanted him to because it was one of those sort of events. I just didn't want penalties—a deciding championships or anything else, and um, or, or positions or teams' positions. But he chose not to. And he, you know, I, I honestly thought Walkinshaw's uh, at that level would have said, "Look, it doesn't look great on TV. Flick back. There wouldn't have been a penalty." Um, you know, there was a, it, look, as I say, I've got a job to do. Is hmm. it a breach? Did he gain a lasting advantage? Yes, it is. What's the smallest penalty? Five seconds. Did I want to hand it out? No, I didn't.
0: But that's what I've got to do. Rules are rules. You can only adjudicate to the rules that are are there and the penalties that are in the sheet. Um, One that really confused me when I first saw the result of it um, was when we saw the shot of Macaulay Jones's Pizza Hut Camaro all but backwards um, in the pit lane, (laughs) in the pit bays, which was a very strange scenario. The replay showed obviously that the Nulon team, Premier Racing, released James Golding as McCauley was coming in and around to being the pit bay next door um, and pretty heavy contact. That's probably some of the more heavy contact we've seen in pit lane compared to the normal little bump or rub or little wipe on the back as someone peels in or peels out. Um, that was a pretty clear-cut one that that needed more than a time penalty or that that was a pretty serious one in terms of the size of it.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. It was serious. We, we, you know, we, we really, we're always looking for safety down there because there's so many personnel and volunteers and fire marshals and everything there. So, it's a real eye opener when you see a car backwards. And I was very strong on defending Golding um, at the Gold Coast with with the with the Scott Pye incident, um, but this one here deserves a full uppercut because as a as a driver. Um, I was very surprised to think that he's just sitting in his car, numb, not aware of his surroundings at the time. I've always, uh, in any form of motorsport with pit stops, yes, you've got a car controller, but the other part is you're always watching, you're always keeping a little eye in that mirror, you're looking at the guy and you feel your eyes are peeled. Um, So unless... He, he maybe had a mirror that was had rubbed up against a wall and was out of focus or lost the, the mirror. I didn't speak to him about it, but I was just really surprised. A, the car controller did a disgraceful job, and generally, you know, whether it's a rear-vision mirror or, or a wing mirror, you kind of know roughly what's in the pit lane and the car controller, normally if you listen to a Dutto or that style guy, you know, pit lane free, pit lane free, it's clear, it's clear, a car coming into pit lane, plenty of time. They talked the driver through it. That was just that was. I'll I'll use one word. That was dumb. Um, if I was to use another one, it's very dangerous. So uh, he was lucky yeah. just to get away with a drive-through penalty. But really wrecked his race because James had been in the ten both days. Like he was he was having a good weekend. So they wrecked their own weekend um, just based off off
0: silly mistakes. Yeah, and, and in the Saturday race, he'd brushed the wall at turn eight and then had been hit by Todd Hazelwood on the other side of the car at the last turn, which Todd got a, a penalty for. So it kind of evened him out on that Saturday, he got a hit on one side and a, a hit on the other side. Um, a Sunday too, there was another one that I uh, saw during the race that um, did come up on the timing screen as under investigation, um, which was, uh, double-check this, lap 21 with... Thomas Randall, who had a pretty strong weekend, probing the outside of Shane Van Gisbergen down at the right-handed turn four, um, and, and Thomas ended up out wide, lost some spots. But um, clearly the element there that made me feel that there was going to be nothing that nothing to come out of it was that Shane didn't move under brakes. He held his line on the way in there, and it was Thomas's call to go the long way, which... Um, You know, you kind of put yourself in that situation to have what happened happen. Yeah, so when I first viewed it,
1: I thought Shane had actually come out to the left and the commentators continued to sort of say he opened up the steering wheel. He didn't do anything with the steering wheel. He just did what Shane does and makes life awkward for everybody else. But when you frame by frame that from the helicopter shot at the top, there's a white line. Shane never deviates from that. Um, the only car that deviates is Thomas trying to turn into the corner. So it looked, I think if I was watching it at a pub, you would have said straight away Shane's guilty. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a there's a little bit of a foul in it. But is it a breach of a rule? It's up to him when he turns in. If someone wants to try and, at that level, try and pass someone on the outside, you, you're putting yourself in a pretty vulnerable position. But the surprising part was how steep Thomas turned in Knowing that Shane was sort of running long. So, um very Shane, very Shane van Gisbergen. Uh was there a breach? No breach of the rules at all. Um again, you sort of feel for Thomas, but Thomas will also learn that when you when you when you're boxing a guy like that, you gotta be careful, you know what I mean? So mm. um and also I think it highlights cars are probably too fragile because if that causes to wreck his race,
0: we need to beef some of the stuff up. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's no rule that says Shane has to hit the apex of the corner. Clearly, he was wide of it, and he was just uh, doing what he had to do to make life hard for Thomas, as you mentioned. So um, that was that one on the Sunday. But w- was there a bit further to that?
1: Yeah, the the other part of that is, yes, he does miss the apex, but that's he's sort of right only by a metre, a metre and a half. But it's up to him when he wants to turn it. There's nothing in the rule book that says he has to turn in at that point. And he actually turns in late because of the small contact from Thomas. So if people spent the time going through it frame by frame, watching measurements, I draw lines, I've got stuff there, measurements to the wall, measurements to the white line, which car turns, Thomas turns first, Thomas turns into the side of him bank, that's that's what it is. Uh, Unfortunate,
0: but certainly no foul. One of the things I wanted to ask you about um, quickly on all of this too is um, part of the purpose of these uh, race control episodes of the VH 8 podcast is to not only explain the situations on the track and why a penalty has been given or why it hasn't been or what are the circumstances and the elements that you're looking at when you're, you're making that adjudication, but just it just reminds me because I saw him on the weekend and I've worked with him um, for many years in the television space. So you've got a very experienced um television, um, we'll call them EVS operators, um, Carl Sadler, who's been with Supercast TV for many, many years. He's your video guy, so I'd love you to just tell our listeners about how that works. When you need a piece of vision, you want to replay a moment, you want to get a different angle, how does that process work? Is he sitting there right next to you waiting for you to tell him what you need? Yes, yeah, so a lot of the time he'll be
1: next to me or very close to me in race control, so I've got my own EVS set up he's got his own EBS set up that's directed straight to the broadcast truck. So any of the broadcast vision, cameras, helicopters, onboards, judicial camera, anything that's got a camera near it, um, we have access to. So we're like our own little production company. We just go in and clip up whatever we want, whenever we want it, frame by frame it. I can select 10 cameras if I want put on my working screen, but they are then all synced together with the telemetry from the race car. And that's the key. You start getting technical and the telemetry and the, and the, and the frame by frame shots from every angle. It's, it's very hard to get it wrong. This is what people don't understand at home. I know where the Brock Feeney touched the back of chairs. I, I can see even on, on, on data. I can see on a damper pot. I can see on a G sensor whether there's any movement. I can see the wheel spin on Chaz. So you take all this in. Then you frame by frame it. You make a a, a very educated decision whether someone's to be penalized. Or not. So if there's the start of the race and all there's a couple of things happen, someone might jump the start, someone might have a curb strike, someone might have something else going on. So I'll start looking at the jump start. Carl will then go in. He'll start piecing together all the next incidents so I might have five of them in the in the log and people say oh why did it take so long well I've got to methodically go through each one of those then I've got to bring the stewards on that journey with me so once I've actually made my own mind up what's happened how it's happened and if someone's accountable or or guilty then I've got to take that onto another working screen that then I bring the stewards into, or I bring technical into, or I bring the head of motorsport into. Uh, via radio, we go through that process and then I'm to give a recommendation to the stewards. We're very lucky in Supercar Land that our stewards are extremely experienced and and, and lawyers, they're not just weekend warriors that are sort of wanting to help cook the hot dogs at the go kart sure it's really really experienced guys and then they quite often this is what people don't understand uh, quite often i'm there to try and save the driver i might be trying to save them from a penalty but they might cross-examine me they might bring in another rule they might say have you thought of this did you see that we give a recommendation and then um then that recommendation is taken on board they make an assessment uh with the four of them and then that goes to the race director so it's not a one-man band. This is what people think. Uh, you know, you know I just shoots from the hip. It, it, this, I, I get cross-examined by so many different people um, on that process on the way through. So that's sort of how it works, and I'm very lucky to have Carl work alongside me um, because he has a natural feel for the game. So he can be looking at something, or I might be reviewing something, He'll see something happen, whether that's pit lane, two cars contacting, something. He'll just cut it and send it through to me. Go, hey, Beto, can you just have a look at item number six? So I just see something that didn't quite look right. So he's always just on the lookout um, for anything happening um, out and about. You know, it may even be debris on the track. It might be a spectator that's got into a dangerous area. There's just always something going on. So
0: uh, to have a guy that, that feels the game like that's good. It's a great insight. Thank you, mate, because that's the sort of stuff that we want to bring to the listeners on these race control um, episodes of the podcast. And, and there was one little thing too, a couple more little topics before we finish up for our last one of the year. Um, there was a shot during, uh, I'm pretty sure it was Sunday's race, and it may have been from the Van Gisbergen car. We did see a shot in the pit lane of a heavily damaged tyre, but because of the soft tyre on the weekend with so much of that rubber debris kicking around, like there was a massive chunk of it I think sitting in a turn five, somewhere about there, maybe at the middle of the corner, it was kind of there for someone to headbutt or to, to collect on the way through. Was there any consideration on the weekend that that debris could get into spots or there was amount of – because when we see that shot on TV, I'm instantly wired to think, is that something maybe that race controls us to have a look at or it's being offered up? to race control, to have a look at to see whether it's something that can be sort of salvaged off the track in a gap between traffic or do we need a safety car? I saw that one. Was that a consideration all over the weekend with the way that tyre rubber was going? Not really. Um, Generally, when it comes out in the clumps, it sort of rolls
1: offline. So that one was was offline, but it is something we have discussions with uh, supercars, the race director, uh, the corner marshals. The corner marshals are always giving us you know feedback on what's happening um it is a concern there though the the amount of rubber that was on the outside of turn eight um if someone runs wide there they were they were they were going to be in uh, in serious trouble so after the race saturday night i went around i was sort of just doing track inspection and stuff and the amount of rubber offline at turn eight was actually quite scary, so it'll be certainly something that they'll discuss and and maybe that's a, a
0: an option for a for a different compound type, yeah. Something to have a think about for, for next year. Um, not only was the main game decided on the weekend, but we also saw uh, the Dunlop series for Super 2, Super 3 wrap-up. Young Job Stewart won Super 3 for Image in their Commodore. And uh, in the end, Kai Allen won Super 2 for for Eggleston Motorsport. But I guess part of that storyline was Zach Best, who's finished second for the third year in a row in that series, Um Talk to me about race one on Saturday where he made contact with the back of Nash Morris and 15-second penalty there where it dropped him in the field. Um, that uh, that really stung him. But uh, talk me through that scenario and that incident and what you saw.
1: Yeah, so firstly, b- both of those champions have um, are very deserved. Job Stewart did a great job in, in Super 3. Um, and when you look at Kai Allen... Um, He got robbed here last year, and Mm. it turned around for him this year. It's just the highs and lows of motor racing. Zach Best, a ripping young bloke, very talented driver, but obviously was mismanaged through that race. That's the only thing I can put it down to. He just had to keep circulating. He had a a reasonable uh, points championship. I look at Brody Kostecki. Stay out of trouble do the right thing they did the same in the uh in the in the porsche uh, just get out of trouble and complete so he gets stuck hard into a fist fight with Nash Morris and pokes them in the fence and he went and apologized to Nash and that about it but there's nothing you can't go well it's just a free one mate you'll be all right you can still win the championship it's a breach of a rule it's a medium it's fifteen seconds there's your medicine you've got to take it and I, I was just blown away I had to give the championship leader a penalty in a situation where he was fighting people that were not in the championship he was mm. fighting people he didn't have to fight so yep felt for him um they both they both deserve to win the champion but you know better than anyone mate there's only ever one champion um but Kai Allen will be a, a a star of the future as well you know we saw him at Bathurst uh, with Simona this year. I think uh, he's flying on the radar of many people. He's uh, got guys like Peter Addison backing him. Um, so he's got a very bright future, um, as has Zach Best. But it's hard when you don't take the championship trophy home to go knocking on doors because, again, you're P2 um, after what I would sum up as a bit of a silly, silly uh, second to last race that cost them dearly.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and he's not only finished runner up in Super Two three times, but he was also runner up in the V8 Touring Car Series, which is you know now Super Three, um, a couple of years before that. So, right, that's all the on track stuff, Beto. Um There's always things to tweak, improve, tune. Have you got some particular topics on your radar? for 2024 for the next couple of months that you'd like to spend some more time taking a look into or to to send higher up the chain what's the analysis I guess in the off season for you in this role or is it a case that it's um have a little stop and a little bit of a break and then roll back into it before the start of the year how does it all unfold when we've got I think it's 80 88 days or something like that before race one at Bathurst next year
1: yeah, look, we're always working. Motorsport Australia and supercars are always working together to try and improve things. Look, everyone can stand on the outside and throw rocks. They always do. But until you're actually there and you, you've you've got to make the decisions or or create the game, um, you know, it's always difficult. But the big talking point for me out of this year would be Gold Coast. I couldn't go back and just sit there and, and listen to commentators just – cloudy the waters with or muddy the waters with uh with curb strikes i think we can do a lot better there we've got to do something yes it may cost them some money um but i just uh, it's gone on too long now uh we've spoken about the wheels i don't see that changing but it's something that they really need to you know make a cutoff date in another eight months or one one more season, then you've got to replace all your wheels. We definitely need to do something along that lines. Um, and then just, you know, we're always working with the drivers. It, you know, they've got their driver for them. Uh, Shane Van Gisbergen was sort of representing them uh, during this year to sort of midway. And I I I'd have to say Chaz Mostert and Cam Waters, Will Davo, they stepped up to the plate. I think uh, Shane just lost, in fairness, he lost interest with supercars. You could kind of see that. Um, Mid year, so uh, the other boys grab the helm on that one, um, and they're really good because we say, "Well, you come to us or supercars, we'll direct any of your concerns. It may be something as simple as their scheduling of their driver's briefing too close to the last practice, it, it, or any of these things. We take more on board, we write it up and send it to the to to the appropriate department. So everyone's working together. Um, we all get on pretty well. So. Um, it always looks like the ref is fighting with drivers and bits and pieces. But at the end of the day, mate, we have a, we have a, I am an ex driver. I, I was a hard, but fair racer. They understand that. And I always walk into a driver's briefing and I sit with different groups. Um, they have a laugh and a joke and I'm, I'm more than comfortable, uh, with, with all my boys. And that's what I call them. That's what they are. I'm there to look after them, their safety. And, um, I think they respect
0: that. You beat me to it. I was about to say, I know you look at them as as your boys, all 24, 25 of them. So um, definitely the way that you've, you've approached it. A big thank you to, I want to say, not just to you for taking the time to join us after the Gold Coast in Adelaide. It's our intention to do this after every round next year, as well as the Repco Bathurst 12-hour, the GT3 race, because, of course, you serve the same role there. So I reckon there's, you know, there's a gap between that and the first round of supercars the following weekend, so we may as well um, have an episode of the pod. I'm sure we'll sign up a sponsor somewhere along the line too, but a quick thank you to Motorsport Australia for making Beto available for this. Uh, mate, have a great Christmas. Thank you for your efforts again in 2023 for both the main game and, and the Dunlop series as well. You make a great contribution to the sport, and we'll see you back in 2024. Thanks, Noons. Cheers. You have a good Christmas, too. There he is, Craig Baird. V8 Sleuth Race Control Podcast is done for the Velo Adelaide 500. Don't forget, uh, on Tuesday, Castrol Motorsport News Podcast is back with Will and Stafford, And on Wednesday, for the next couple of weeks, my big sit-down with Scott Sinclair, former Nissan engineer, or Nissan team manager, I should say, and championship-winning engineer with Dick Johnson Racing. Thanks for joining us on the V8 Sleuth Race Control Pod. We'll chat to you again very soon.